Let's see. So, no, I'm going to go ahead and do this, I think. Um, so I think I just turned it on, but I don't know if I can hear it. Good morning, ladies. Okay. Yes, you can hear me. Well, praise the Lord. I'm just going to really quickly just like say thank you, Lord. Thank you for that worship. Thank you that every word of those songs was so true. And it was so, it was so in line with everything that I want to say today. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would truly, truly help us to hear the truth of Jesus today. So, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I didn't make any slides because I'm not really good at this yet. I haven't figured out how to do all this kind of stuff. But if I had one, it would say Jesus saves, like that out there. Jesus saves completely. I'm here today because of Jesus. I don't want to cry, but I always cry. You're here today because of Jesus. Paul is who he is because of Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians because of Jesus. So um, you've all got to spend some time. And Deb, I just have to say to you, thank you for your reading last week. It was fabulous. I'm sure you've heard that from a lot of people. Um, man, it just, I heard the whole letter. I heard Paul's heart. We went back in our small group and we talked a little bit about what each of us heard. And uh, it was really sweet because we heard words like um, assurance, simple gospel, um, t- don't be judging. Um, and even a funny one is like, hey, we don't have to worry about our diet anymore. <laughs> um, but we realized that quickly it was starting to fade from our mind, right? We needed each other to remind us what we heard. Um, so we realized, thank God, that he's given us this letter to hold in our hand, right? We get to actually continue to sit with it and go, wait, what did Paul say? What, did, what is it that's happened to me? Whose do I belong to? So that's what I'm going to start with today. Um, as you remember, you've been in this all week, hopefully, and um, Paul addresses this letter to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. The important tagline here is in Christ. And um, it's a phrase that we can get really, really familiar with. And I'm going to actually challenge you right now. Um, as Lisa told you, remember and reflect week. Not next week, but the week after. It's a week where you go back and review. It's also a week to get into deep study. I encourage you, do a study on the word in Christ, on the phrase in Christ. It's 164 times in Paul's letters. So it has so much to bless you with. So in Christ, or Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the most important truth of the gospel. These Colossians are in Christ because of God and the Father in Christ Jesus. His amazing grace and love was poured out on them. And so are you and I who have believed in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, what does that mean? Let me get my little paper straight here. I have this like if I need this, but maybe I don't need that. So in Christ, what does it mean? Well, Colossians 1.13 kind of gives us a picture. It says, He, God, has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Isn't that a picture? I know that I can relate to that. And hopefully you guys will be able to sit around your table today and talk about your experience of being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But that's it. You were taken out of being separated from God, trying to gain your wisdom from the world and from what you could figure out, and you were placed inside of the son that he loves. 
You've got a new identity. You are now a child of God. You're no longer a sin, a slave to sin and death. You have a new location where you live. You live in the sun. These are really big concepts. <laughs> They're kind of, you know, it's like, oh, we can say them because we say them all the time at church. But you have to sit with them. You have a new family. Like I look around and you are all my sisters in Christ, right? And we have a new source of life. We're not having to go to these empty wells anymore. Now we have the source of life from the creator himself. So we can move around to different locations. We can be in Colossae. We can be in Rockland. Um, but spiritually, now wherever we are, Christ is with us. We are never without him and all of his resources. So in, this little tiny word in, it denotes an intimacy and a closeness that is kind of, again, beyond our ability to grasp. But we are in union with him, okay? We are united to him. We are one with him. The scripture uses images of a vine to a branch to try and help us, or a marriage between a man and a woman. Um, it uses the idea of Christ being the head of a body. It means safety, security, love, again, source of life, the same mind. It means that what is true of him is true of you. It means that his relationship to the Father is your relationship to the Father. Again, these are deep things. I could just say them, and I could step off of here, but you got to sit with them, because what does that mean for me today? Is this how we view ourselves when we get up in the morning? Is this how you walk out into the world with the things that you're going to have to face today? I am in Christ. You know, I can be anywhere, but I'm surrounded by this bubble of safety and security and love and resources. It's really, 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 what, would, it, would it be different if you actually thought that way? Proverbs 23 says, as a man or a woman thinks in themselves, in their soul, so they are. So in other words, it's pretty important how you view yourselves. It's going to determine so much of what you feel, how you think and respond to life. So as we move in the letter, um, verses 3 through 8, we just see Paul, and I, let me just back up a little bit, just remembering the background that Priscilla shared with us last week. This letter is being written because we know that Epaphras carried the gospel to Colossae. These people believed, and now they find themselves in Christ. And Paul knows now that Epaphras has come back and said, oh my gosh, Paul, there's this terrible heresy that's infiltrating, and the believers are now starting to get confused. They're starting to have their faith shaken. They're starting to think Jesus isn't enough. We'll continue learning about that as we go through the letter. But so Paul, really his intention here is he's going to solidify in their minds, hey, guys, I know who you are. I've heard about your faith, your love, your hope. You are the real deal. And I never stop thanking God for your salvation. So every word that he says is really important because he wants to make them know, remember, you heard the truth. This is who you are. And that's what this letter is saying to us, right? And Paul also goes on to say, it's like, you know what? You're not alone, guys, because it's happening everywhere. Everywhere the gospel goes, it bears this fruit. It causes people to change because that's what God said it would do. So he uses the word gospel three times in that first paragraph. Um, so what is the gospel? Now, I'd venture to say in this room, most probably all of you can say what the gospel is to some, you know, version or another. And it's really, really good to constantly say, like, okay, what is the gospel? How would I say it to somebody today? Um, so that's why I thought, well, you know what? Let's just kind of talk about it. Um, and I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm just going to tell you what things came to me. The first thing that came to me was Romans 1.16, which isn't usually where somebody usually goes. But Paul says in Romans 16, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to God. Okay, now I'm gonna, I knew this would happen. See, I know this verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Oh, to everyone who believes. <laughs> First to the Jew and then to the Gentile, from faith for faith. So the gospel is the power of God to save people by faith. That's the first thing. And then, of course, everyone knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would, have, would not perish but have everlasting life. Um, but there is a bigger, bigger scope because a lot of times we go around and we say, okay, here's the gospel. God loved you. He died for you. Uh, but, man, there is a depth to this that goes so beyond just those lines, those scriptures, and God wants us to know it all. So as I thought about it a little bit, last year we were in Genesis, and not all of you were here, but I started thinking, oh my gosh, the gospel goes all the way back to Genesis, right? The gospel is that God has done something for mankind that he could not do for himself. And we learned in Genesis last year that mankind got completely separated from God in a moment when they chose to not believe in his goodness and instead chose to go after and believe that they could figure out what was good and evil on their own. But God immediately met them, and he gave them a promise in Genesis 3.15 that a seed would come from the woman that would actually crush the head of the serpent. And then as we move forward in Genesis 12, God made a promise to a man named Abraham that through his offspring that he would bless all the nations of the world. And so... <clears throat> He would basically restore the original intention of creation, life with God, and even better, God with us to help us live that life. So this new creation is open to us again in Jesus. We are able and invited again to gain our wisdom from him, from God, the source of life and all wisdom. Colossians 2, 3 actually says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So now think about it. You're in Christ. So again, you have access to truth, to wisdom, to ways to make decisions. As I said in the beginning, I'm here because of Jesus. The gospel was preached to me, and my life was changed in an instant. Paul's testimony is crazy. I would encourage you guys to go back and study that as well. But he was an enemy of Christ in the most religious sense. He was breathing out murderous threats, imprisoning new believers, and in an instant, Jesus stops him drops him to his knees by a blinding light and sets Paul clear on who he is. And he learns the grace and power of the gospel. He's Paul because of Jesus. So you can study all that in Acts chapter 9. You can hear what he says in Galatians chapter 1. So each person's experience, all you ladies here, can be unique in how you heard the gospel and how your hearts were, unique, were awakened. But the results are always the same. Faith in Christ Jesus Love and hope of the hope for glory. So now I'm going to kind of do what Deb did because she inspired me. I'm going to read from two passages from the message translation again that tell us what has happened to us. Okay, the first one is actually going to be in your text from next week uh, or this week, Colossians 1 21 to 23. So, however, it's best for you to listen in a way that allows you to hear it as being spoken to you, whether it's closing your eyes or but just really pay attention. Pay attention to every word because I want you to leave here today knowing who you are. And I want you to think about it. I want it to change your heart, your perspective. So here we go. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him 
giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side, and he put your lives together whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Gosh, isn't that powerful? Now I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. This one's a little bit longer, verses 1 through 6. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. Remember, Paul is including himself in this, right? A law-keeping religious man. So you might think, I don't think I acted like that. But see, to God, that's what this looks like. So Paul includes himself in this. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and he set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel like I don't have to say anything else. I just said it all, right? So Paul is so thankful for these people's salvation. I mean, think about it. If you go back and study his story, he was saved in a radical way, blinded for three days. He's given his sight back, and God says, now you're my chosen vessel. You're going to suffer for me, but you're going to go and tell the Gentiles the truth about who I am, right? So now Paul, and no wonder he's excited because He's like, everything that God said is happening. He chose me. I obeyed. I tell people the message. They get saved. That person goes and tells. The gospel is doing what it's supposed to do. So, of course, he's super excited. But he also knows that the initial aspect of salvation is not enough. Because I don't know about your life. I mean, I got saved, and I wandered in the desert for at least 10 years. At least 10 years. You know, still kind of wallowing in my sin because I didn't really understand what happened to me. It's like, I don't know. I walked down an aisle one day. I heard some message. I wasn't even sure what it was. And boom, I was changed in an instant. My change, though, was a change in desires, uh, uh, this weird desire to, to, like, know people who knew Jesus, a desire like, well, I need to know more about Jesus. But I didn't know much. So I still wallowed around in my sin. I still looked for help in all the wrong places. Oh, but his grace is so good. He has answers for that. So 
Paul says, this idea of just getting saved, that's just the beginning. We have so much more. There's a goal to this life in Christ. Did you know that? <laughs> There's a goal. It's not just heaven when we die or my sin, and my sins are forgiven. It's to bring a chosen group of people to maturity. We don't want to stay babies forever, right? Completion. To create a kingdom of life and light and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and truth. Can you imagine a world like this? This is what he promises us in the end, right? It's the longing of every one of our hearts. So we need to keep moving to get there, focused on Christ. So how do we do that? Well, when we get to verse 9, Paul's answer first is prayer. And oh my gosh, this prayer is wonderful. It's amazing. Why would we pray anything else? So let's talk about the prayer. Um, I'm going to read it first. Verses 9 through 11. For this reason, we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Okay, probably part of the reason why we don't pray this is because it's one really long sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and it can just sound like a lot of words, right? Um, but man, when I started like looking into it and breaking it down, that's when it, it became, oh, okay, I can do this. I can pray this. So um, this prayer touches on the, every basis that the Colossians needed and that we need in our faith, right? This is one, uh, some guys said this is one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Um, so for this reason, he starts it. That's linking us back. Okay, I've heard about your faith. You're the real deal. And for this reason, I'm going to pray for you even more. Okay, most of the time we're always praying for people who got problems, right? Paul's praying for people who have got good things happening in their life. It's like, oh, if this is going good for you, I'm going to pray even more, right? Okay, so what does he pray? What's the first thing that he says? That they would be filled, 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 filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects. He uses three different words for wisdom here. I thought that was pretty cool. The first word is, not that this matters, but hey, it's kind of fun when you think you know Greek. Epignosis, knowledge. That's the word there for knowledge of God's will. This is what it means. It means precise and correct knowledge of things ethical and divine. It's a deep experiential knowledge. This isn't new knowledge, right? He's not saying you don't need anything new because that's kind of part of what the heresy was. He's saying, no, 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 you know God, but you need to know him better. You need to go deeper. So he uses the word gnosis actually was the word for knowing God. But he adds this epi, epignosis. So with this word, he's asking that they would be filled with a deeper knowledge, filled to the brim, complete kind of knowledge to pervade, to diffuse, to cause to abound. It's a fuller development of what they already had, a comprehensive understanding of the big picture. And this was the coolest part for me, the word filled. I don't know what that Greek word was, but it doesn't mean filled in the sense of contents or amount, but in a sense of filled to the point of being controlled by. Like, we can be filled with rage, right? So much rage that that rage is now what is controlling you. Or you can be filled with love, and that love is so strong that it's controlling your ever thought and action. 
Well, this is what you need to be controlled by, is a comprehensive understanding of what God is doing in the world and in you and in people. So imagine being filled or controlled by the knowledge of God's will. What would that look like? Or imagine if all of us in this room were living that kind of life. We were filled and controlled by the knowledge of God's will. We're getting a picture of what the kingdom would look like, right? It's a true saying that what fills you controls you. It will control both your actions and your reactions. So are we letting the word of Christ richly dwell in us so that we might be controlled by the will of God and the word of God taught by the spirit of God? That's the goal of nurture. That's why we come to Bible study, right? It's not just, I mean, it's great that we get to fellowship and we get to share our lives with one another. And that is so a huge, important part of what it means to grow. But the thing that's going to give us the real healing, the real wholeness, is taking the word of God and then applying it into our lives like that. Um, So that's what Paul's request uh, to God is for these believers. He's asking that they would be so filled with a complete and precise and correct understanding of God's will for humanity and himself that they will be controlled and living out of that reality. So in this type of prayer, we are trying not so much to make God listen to us, as to make ourselves listen to him. We are trying not to persuade God to do what we want, but to find out what he wants us to do. Now, there's two more words for wisdom, right? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's the word Sophia and Sonesis. So when Paul continues his prayer that his friends may have spiritual wisdom and understanding, he's praying that they would understand the truths of Christianity in such a way as to be able to apply them to the tasks and decisions which they face in everyday living. A man may easily be a master of theology, but a failure at living. The Christian must know what Christianity means, not in a vacuum, but in the business of living, you know, in the workplace, going to school, in your relationships, in your marriage, right? That's where, that's what the whole point of this is. So filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that... We just keep going that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing good fruit, growing in the knowledge of God. The point of gaining this knowledge of God and spiritual wisdom and understanding is meant to enable and grow the believer into right living and thinking and conduct, enabling them to worthily and rightly live in this new resurrected life in Christ. See, we're in Christ. That's done deal. Faith did that. A gift of God. But you have to grow up into it. Because that's why I can remember one of my daughters, you know, I got saved before my kids were born. And then I was just fanatic, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when she was 16, she's like, man, you've been telling me Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all my life. But everybody's the same in the church as they are in the world. I didn't have any answers for her then. And it was disheartening at first, right? She was just like, "Why? you said Jesus has power, but I'm, I'm struggling. Everybody around me is still acting the same. Well, because... This prayer says it all. We have to ask. He wants to give it to us, but we're too busy looking other places. Um, And that's where the last part of his prayer is so good. Paul prays that his friends may be strengthened with all the power of God. Okay, I don't know if you guys can even get a picture of what is all the power of God. He created the whole world and the universe. He raised the dead back to life. He's got a lot of power. The great problem um, in life is not that we don't know what to do, but it's doing it, right? 
For the most part, we are well aware that we, what we ought to do. Our problem is to put that knowledge into action. So what we need is power. And we can gain this power from Christ through prayer. If God nearly told us what his will was, that would be frustrating. But he not only tells us his will, he also enables us to perform it. So listen to this. This is the crux of this prayer, I think. Because of Christ, through prayer, we have access to the greatest gift available to us in the world. True knowledge, understanding and how to apply it, plus the power to live it out. I don't know if I got up every day and I thought, what's my biggest problem? It's like, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how to do it, and I don't have the strength to do it. And this prayer is telling me that oh, because of Jesus, see, I've done the greatest thing that I could ever do for you. I put you into life with me. That's what you were meant to always have from Genesis forward. But he had, a, he had this amazing plan that it was going to happen through this weird, circuitous way. And this is better. This is way better. Um, so Paul models prayer for us. We need this prayer um, and we need to pray it over one another. Paul is showing us that we can't pull up our bootstraps and do a better job at learning about God and becoming the kind of people we should be. Paul is saying, I'm praying that God will do this for you. Now you pray this too. So imagine the power this prayer can have in our lives. We pray a lot of prayers. Most of them are aimed at getting our will done. We struggle in so many areas because of wrong thinking about God about being confused on the purpose of life, about expectations. We get rocked by the struggles and disappointments that this life is full of, the brokenness around us. As we grow in a fuller understanding of the knowledge of God's will for humanity in the plan of redemption, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and are strengthened by His power, we will begin to settle down into this kingdom life, to have peace, joy, endurance, patience to be able to trust and wait for the culmination of all things. We will become light and sources of life for those around us. We will be displaying God's glory to the world. Where is Paul when he prays this prayer for them? He's in a prison cell, right? He's in a prison cell at peace, knowing he is in Christ, regardless of his physical location, and that the call upon his life is being fulfilled all around him. He knows God is fulfilling all of his promises in Christ throughout the world. And Paul gives thanks and prays all the more for it to continue and go deeper. Paul understands the big picture, that this life is not all there is. He's living for another kingdom, another city that he knows is coming, and he is praying for us to live that way as well. In Christ, the hope of glory, this is what has happened to us. There was no hope for humanity to get things right on their own. Christ in you is the answer. You have inherited everything that is his. He is sufficient for every need. By faith and belief, you have the ability to tap into his strength, his love, his patience, his trust, his surrender, his humility, his wisdom, his creativity, which is really cool. I never thought about that until recently. His grace, his compassion. It goes on and on, all of it. We sadly tap into so many things for what we need. Jesus is everything. This is coming from Priscilla and I hearing an amazing message. Jesus is everything, and Jesus is everything in us, and Jesus wants to change everything in us, and he can. He has the power and resources to do it. That's the plan, ladies. In Jesus, we have come to participate in his death, 
the forgiveness of our sins, his resurrected life in all of its fullness. It isn't just to get us to heaven, to repeat myself. God the Father has a plan in the gospel through Jesus to bring his good and wonderful kingdom to bear upon this world until his kingdom becomes the final and full reality in the completed new creation. And all of this will be done in and through Jesus alone. Nothing more, nothing less. So I challenge you again all to begin praying this prayer for one another and yourselves. Study the prayer even more. Stay near Jesus and his word and his people. May he become what controls your actions and reactions. Cultivate desire for him by sitting with the words of his love for you and the new life he wants to bring you. You won't be shaken. It's quite motivating when you sit in those words. God does all the hard work. We just have to be available now and desirous. So I heard this other really cool story. John Tyson from Church of the City in New York, um, he actually took like a really quite extended vacation to go around the world to all the places where revivals happened. And uh, revivals happened in many different denominations, right? And so that was the interesting thing. It's like, oh my gosh, this amazing revival happened. And oh, they were the Methodists or though they were the whatevers. You know, there were all these different groups of people who believed in Jesus. But these amazing revivals happened. So he went around, he prayed, he, you know, researched it. And when he came back, his friends come and says, okay, John, you know, what did you discover? What is the secret to revival? He's like, are you ready to hear this? He goes, simply what I discovered is that God comes where he's wanted. <laughs> it doesn't matter how or who or where. It's the desire of your heart. God comes where, you're, where he's wanted, and so you need to just cultivate that hunger for him. So, ladies, I really pray that I've gotten you started to be excited about who you are and to continue on in Colossians. So. Thank you, Lord. I do have one more thing, but I'm going to say thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for this message of who you are. I pray that you would take it deeper into our hearts um, and minds and uh, just really bless these discussion groups today, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Now, you're going to get today, next week, you're going to be studying an amazing portion of Scripture, 15 to 23. It is the hymn of Christ. It is I mean, everything about Jesus in the most amazing way. There's going to be so much for you to learn. But in this week of homework, what we've done is we've added that really fun, some of you might have loved it, some of you might have hated it, engaging through art that we did last semester in the Abide course. But there's this beautiful picture that Priscilla and I ran across that, I mean, I actually am going to get this picture and hang it in my house. I, that's how beautiful I think that it is. But um, we're giving you a color copy of it because in your booklet, it's just black and white. And so you won't be able to see the detail as well. So that's for you to be able to use uh, for your study this week. Um, so, yeah, if you have any other questions, you know, feel free to ask Priscilla or myself or maybe your leaders. So enjoy, ladies. Thank you so much.